What's crackalackin' everybody? My new smart guy, Matt Zapala here. Hey, Lindsay from Dallas, Texas, and welcome back to another episode of the Seven Figure Squad podcast in studio. Joining me is Milton Alvarez. It's been a week, man. I haven't seen you in a, in a minute. How was, uh, how was duck hunting? Yeah, duck Where's my duck? Affleck. Affleck. Well, I got a duck. It's marinating on uh, orange juice and soy sauce at this very moment, and uh, come by the house. We'll, okay. uh, we'll cook it and fry it in a pan. I've never had duck in my life, but I'm down. Let's do That's it. right. So uh, for those of you who don't know what he was talking about, I went duck hunting this last Monday here in Texas. I'm fishing a Texan, Yeah. and uh, I got a hunter's license. I got a fishing license. I got duck stamps. And I got my first citation by the Texas Game Warden for not having my hunter's education completed. <laughs> so I have 90 days to complete it or else I pay a hefty fine to the state of Texas. So, Go in Texas, baby. Go figure. We, we, uh, we actually took a picture with the Game Warden. Um, yeah. you know, we took a picture with the Game Warden and said, hey, Matt, it was a very special moment for us. Thanks for allowing us to uh, uh, hunt. But at the same time, we know we screwed up. My bad. Uh, actually, Jordan, can you show my screen? There it is. We, we, we took a picture with the Game Warden. <laughs> Our tickets. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, we we uh, we did well, man. This is a uh, we got four we got fourteen ducks uh, there, and uh, we got one very rare one. Uh, uh, there was a canvas canvas back. It's called a canvas back duck. Very rare. What, makes it, what, make, what about it makes it rare? Uh, it's not very it's not very many of them okay. uh, around, and uh, uh, the meat's apparently pretty good. Careful, now you're gonna have those uh, those uh, people who what, 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 is it PETA? The people who take care of animals, who go, who uh, <laughs> people hunting extinct and endangered animals. Yeah, wow, so we're, we're, we're slicing up the duck meat right here, if you, get, you can see that. But uh, delicious. We had one with duck fat to the top and the other one without duck fat. So, uh, you know, this in certain restaurants, man, this is like a thousand bucks, you know. Uh, this is, uh, uh, the video's not coming down. But, uh, yeah, I was slicing and dicing, man. You No, you you, you ain't slicing and dicing anything. You thumbed the living hell out of that oh, yeah. duck. <laughs> This man thumbed the duck open. Look at this. Look at this shit. Oh my god, man. It's because uh, this man you know, thumbed his. <laughs> split oh, the skin, bro. Split that's it. wild. Split that skin open. This man has no compassion. Look, look, look at it. Look at it. Look at that duck breast meat right there. To all the vegans and vegetarians watching this, we are very sorry. I had no idea this was going to be the video that's going to be shown today. Certain restaurants in New York, man, you're paying a thousand dollars for what I'm just slicing, slicing right there. A thousand dollars for duck? For duck breast, yeah. For duck breast, yeah. So, uh, anywho, uh, joining us in the studio today, Nati Marud, would you care to introduce our special guest in the studio today? 100%. And it's actually an honor to introduce her. Um, you've lived a pretty interesting life. And from what we've spoken about these last 24, 48 hours, you've faced some, some adversity. And I think anyone who has a story to tell about where they came from and where they're at today is definitely someone worthy of getting this kind of platform to get exposure. Um, facing near-death amputation and death wow. during an emergency surgery where you had to figure out and learn, relearn how to walk, how to run, and how to jump is something that a lot of people can't face because you were supposed to get your leg actually amputated. But what? thanks to God yeah. and you know, a basically a miracle, mm -hmm. you're here and you're actually a straight collegiate athlete, which moves on to the next top, uh, next thing about you is you're a high rocks athlete. And Jordan, if we can pull up that video of her competing, that'd be pretty cool. You're strong and you've been through so Hi, much. High rocks, H Y R O X. And you have come through and fought through all those fires. Baby, you can do this. You got it. You got what it takes inside your heart. God made you the most cool, beautiful, <laughs> amazing woman uh, and daughter that I will ever <laughs> be so honored to have in my life. I'm there, right there on the sideline for you, baby, and I love you more than life itself. You stay strong, you focus, because you've already won the race. You've already been through this race so much in your life. You've already won. God made you a winner. I love you, and I will always be here for you. So you focus and go shine bright, my baby. Go shine bright. So <laughs> who's the voiceover? That's my mom. Oh, that explains why it's <laughs> so powerful. Yeah. So to back that up, Matt, she's competed in seven races, qualified for world championship last year, which was in Vegas, and you've been able to complete two half marathons after the adversity you faced. And I, that was actually the, mm -hmm. the question I was going to ask you, whose voice is that? Yeah, because the moment mom. we started watching this video, I started noticing they started getting emotional. So <laughs> maybe this is a good time to actually introduce you, Shelly Reynolds. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Awesome, Shelly. Thank How you guys you doing? for having me. I'm great. I'm excited to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of you. Um, High Rocks. Is, is that High Rocks? Educate me. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, all I know is CrossFit. Is High Rocks competitive? It's 
compared it's to similar CrossFit? to CrossFit. Okay. It would be like if CrossFit and Spartan had a baby together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it's a lot of running, interval okay. runs mixed with eight different um, like obstacles? exercise movements. Oh, Not necessarily that. obstacles, Excellent. things you do in the gym already, like sled push, skier, row machine, things like that. So basically, basically exercise and movements that if someone who gets intimidated by... Uh, by a CrossFit or people who are extremely limited on the range of motion, they're able to do the specific kind of competition. Absolutely. That'd be me. It was actually designed <laughs> for that purpose to be a all inclusive race. That is a race for everybody. Yeah. Um, Cause CrossFit, you know, I can't, uh, if he told me to do the, uh, what do you call that thing? What is the overhead, overhead snatches? Overhead snatch? I don't even know how to do those. Yeah, yeah, forget about <laughs> it. You know, I've messed up my shoulders. Yeah, yeah, no. shoulders. Yeah. yeah, no, it's all safe movements that you probably already do in your natural workouts. Um, the hardest part is just, it's in combination with running and the running total is about five miles. Yeah, so. that's, that's probably where everybody take over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a hundred yard dash type of guy. Man. <laughs> One time, that's it, we're done. <laughs> And also, last thing that I want to point out, since you know this is also speaking to a lot of entrepreneurs and business people, uh, you were you're one of the few select people who uh, were selected for a, a what is it? it was it a competition in Dallas uh, where 500 applicants signed up for this uh, small business competition where out of 500, only 100 minority-owned businesses were picked by the MAVS Business Assistance Program that Mark Cuban is running. Can you yes. tell us a little more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So the MAVS Business Assist Program is designed to help minority um, entrepreneurs in Dallas specifically. Uh, it's a year program where they give us tools and uh, information to take our business from wherever we're at in take it to the next level. Nice. Um, and throughout the year, there are workshops and events that we attend where we can network and meet people in our community. And then there is a pitch competition um, where they're actually going to give away $35,000 to whoever nice. they choose. So. Love it. So you get ready for your pitch. Yeah, I'm working on it. Good. <laughs> uh, by the way, that was my work in the uh, in the late 2000s or, or, or early 2010, 11, 12 I was part of the Miller Coors Business Planning Competition in Chicago, where Miller Coors was a sponsor of it, and I worked with another shark. His name is Damon John. Wow. So, so actually, uh, Jordan, if you don't mind uh, going on my screen, so so a lot of us uh, um, we pitched. Uh, we uh, I was helping a lot of veterans prepare their pitch to transition from the military. So this is a uh, part of my work. This is 2018, but uh, this is uh, a lot of the guys going through that competition. And that's a, this is a no joke competition uh, because you are competing with a lot of other people, and if you don't catch. The investors, basically the shark or the investor, the, v, the, the, right. the venture capitalist, on what your product or service is all about, just right. like you see in a, in a show, you lose their attention, they're moving on to the next person. So right. how have you found your, your ability to to go from athlete to pitching your idea? Because it's, e- you know, it's easier to push around a sled than try to catch the attention of somebody and hopefully get them to invest 35 grand in you. Right. Well, I for me, my purpose is... Um, it comes from what I went through with the compartment syndrome. Jordan. I, I know I was given uh, another chance mm-hmm. and I meet people who may be in a space where they don't believe in themselves or they already put a, like a self-limiting belief in their head that physically they're not able to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, so going down the path of being a fitness professional, I understand like what I went through I can use to motivate and inspire and uh, lead people to understand like you can actually do it if you believe you can um and so when i coach clients i i coach them from a mental aspect a spiritual aspect and not just physical so that way um you align your full your full potential and um, most coaches they're like very hard and um like yell at the client while they're training i am not that way i'm very warm and nurturing my trainer gives me the thumbs up all the time inside (laughs) inside joke inside joke (laughs) really inside joke literally (laughs) all the way inside that's so funny oh my goodness but i believe that that's what sets me apart as a fitness professional um and when i talk about what i do i try to tie it into my why and the miracle of me being able to run tell doing us, high rocks. And tell us about that. Um, take us back. What, what, yeah. what happened? Uh, so I was a athlete from the age of four, mm-hmm. pretty much. I already told my mom, I was like, I want to be an Olympian. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to compete at the highest level. What was your sport? 
soccer. Okay. Yeah. So with soccer, I was, was running. Okay. Um, I did cross country. I did track. I even did powerlifting. I was one of the first females in my high school to do that. We didn't even have a female team. I just wanted to try everything yeah. to to be the best, pretty much. Um, but because of that, um, and my mom, she uh, she was, I was raised by a single mom, so okay. she worked four jobs. Um, she wasn't home that much to cook. You, did you have so, siblings? I did. Um, There's a huge age gap. They're 10 years older than me. Mm -hmm. So uh, I had to just kind of eat fast food all the time and trying to strive to be... Processed food. Right. um, To strive to be the athlete that I wanted to be. Um, You can't really eat like that. No. (laughs) So in high school, my body just started to develop an overuse injury, which is what compartment syndrome is. Um, You can have chronic, which is what I had for a few years. Compartment syndrome? Yes. I kicked a soccer ball one evening and the chronic compartment syndrome changed to acute compartment syndrome. Mm. Two days later, I was in a hospital and I was being told I was probably going to have my leg amputated. Um, So I went into surgery thinking that I was going to wake up with an an amputated leg. Um, But during that, I flatlined on the table. So they did something called... Yeah, they did something... From your legs? Yes. They did something called a fasciotomy, um, which is where... For compartment syndrome, they release the fascia to help the pressure come off the leg. Um, but during that is when whatever happened in my leg, just my body was too weak to handle it. So they didn't get to the amputation. They had planned to. Uh, my muscles were gray and dark and just non-functioning. Wow. So anyway, I woke up from surgery and I looked at my leg and I literally passed out when I saw it. Because one, I thought I wasn't going to be there and I still saw it. So I was a little confused of like, wait... <laughs> like it's still here um but the surgeon a few days later saw like a little pink dot at the bottom and so that means like the muscle was kind of reviving oh, okay, itself. Got you. The blood was blood flow was thrown right right um so he was like let's push the amputation back because they were still going to do it i had no function in the leg um days kept passing and the muscle kept getting more pink and um they kept trying to make me squeeze my toes like Kobe Bryant, you know, mm-hmm. when he had to like, when he tore his Achilles and he had mm-hmm. to pick up the marbles with the toes. Um, they were trying to make me do that, but I had no nerve function, so wow. I, I couldn't use it. But yeah, um, after that, I was in a wheelchair for a little bit, had to learn how to walk again. And I think it was about six months later, I I was a junior in high school at that time. Jeez. So uh, I had college teams scouting me for soccer and I thought I was going to go to Midwestern State University and play and after that happened just all those dreams were kind of like ripped from me so my senior year in high school I was just like determined to still play sports Mm -hmm. not at the level that I was at but um I was very stubborn the doctors were like you shouldn't do that you're you're gonna cause damage you're gonna cause issues but I was like I'll just deal with it it can't be as bad as it is now right um but I think because of that I I never stopped I just in nutrition I realized like had I had been eating correctly this probably wouldn't have happened Jordan I want to take a look at my screen real quick um is uh, I just googled compartment syndrome I wonder if this is what it looked like yeah um is that lower leg Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I so would that, say that those are probably. Oh, the top right. That's pretty much what my scar looks like. Wow. Yours is a little bigger, isn't it? It's bigger. Yeah. yeah. Is a little bigger so I think Deion Sanders had something like this. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Because he had uh, uh, black and blood flow to his uh, his toes. Mm. That's why mm. they amputated. So uh, so so this compartment syndrome uh, um, says it becomes elevated fasciotomy is the treatment for compartment syndrome uh, on this area. So it's pretty interesting here. On, on what what that looks like, so it's mm-hmm. the most often fixed the muscle in the lower legs and forms. It's a uh, um, what is it? What uh, I was trying to get a definition of it, but uh, I may have gotten ahead of myself. Compartment syndrome. There it is. Increase in pressure inside a muscle, which restricts blood flow and causes pain. Wow. So massive. I thought I thought you got into an accident or something. No, but most like people an inter- think yeah. that, yeah. and they're always shocked when I tell them. I'm like, no, kick the soccer ball so when you. Just, <laughs> what is that? Just overusage? Yeah. So of muscle? when you have chronic, it's yeah. it feels similar to shin splints. Like it's like a tingling kind of like, oh, my shin aches and it feels a little uncomfortable. And if you rest, it might go away, and then you can run again and you feel fine. Um, but chronic over time, if you don't 
take care of it or if you don't fix the issue with me, it was improper nutrition and just working too hard and not fueling my body for Did the you, work. Were you that diagnosed before? No. Okay. So they actually I grew up in a very tiny country town, mm-hmm. a small hospital. Um I went and checked it out and they pretty much told me, oh, you know, you're an athlete. Just take some Tylenol and elevate your leg and rest. <laughs> Fix all for everything. Motrin for yeah. the military. Yeah, they had no idea about compartment syndrome. So oh. that that was, you know, the improper diagnosis and then me being a stubborn young athlete who wanted to be yeah. in the Olympics and not willing to rest. Uh, yeah. It was a recipe for it to develop into the acute compartment syndrome, which is where you have to have that surgery. Yeah. Wow. So, so uh, your 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 uh, relationship status? You married, single? I am not married. I am okay. in a relationship. Okay, we've been together for two years now. Good. How'd you guys meet? Uh, it's kind of funny. We actually met on Instagram, uh, and like 20- somebody slipped in your DMs, huh? <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> In 2019. Okay, so how is that though? I mean, you know, there's a lot of DMs that go in somebody's message. What what, what separate his DM versus the rest? <laughs> well, so he followed me in 2019. Um, we're in similar fields. We've worked in, we both worked at Equinox, so we knew similar people. Oh, okay. um, and I was always a little intrigued by him just because of the knowledge he posted on social media. But I was in a relationship with someone else at the time. Um, and we would have casual conversations. He wasn't the type of man that would like come in my messages like super direct and uh-huh. flirting. What up, boo? Right. No. Were you friends before? No. So you weren't friends before dating? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. So we were like internet friends right we would talk oh, okay. about like but never physically met no okay um once i got out of my relationship i started to respond a little more okay. flirtatious you know um and he was like two things need to happen i need to take you on a date and we need to work out so that's how it started do you think men and women can have friends that are of the opposite sex oh, absolutely his best friend is a female my really? best friend is a male Go so ahead, yeah Okay, yeah. I got my thoughts on this. I don't. <laughs> by the way, I don't. I I respect that. I just don't think long term it plays out. Yeah, uh, I'm 50 years old now, and I've seen this happen over and over and over again. They're, guys and gals are just in the friend zone. In the meantime, listen, I'm always open to be proven wrong. Yeah. But it's just been my history, my my uh, personal experience and observation of many, many, many relationships. I've been around this block many times. So <laughs> you okay? So let me ask you a question uh, revolving that. Have you always been okay with that? Or is it just something about him and his his relationship with that woman that made you feel comfortable? You're like, you know what? I'm not intimidated by this woman or whatever yeah. thought came to mind. Well, my best friend is literally from high school. We've known each other since like 13. Guy best friend. 14, yes. 13, 14 years old. And you're old. telling me not once throughout those these entire years that you've known this guy and your life. So you got to like, you know. Yeah. So, not once has this man not one kiss on the cheek not one kiss on, <laughs> no one kiss on your hand held your hand escorted you from the arm took you on a date tried taking you on not, not once so yes see I, but see but hear me out that's what I'm talking hey, about no, 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 no. hear me out that's why on, boundaries you. though ka-ching, ka-ching. I, th- I think no. I think it's okay to voice if you're interested in somebody Mm -hmm. i think after that if you say boundaries like i'm i'm not interested or i'm unwilling or whatever it might be after that depending on how that person moves then that says more about it to me than anything he's never crossed a boundary after like you know i told him i wasn't really okay interested in that so uh, reverse the roles your boyfriend and hit and his female best friend. <laughs> it's like an ongoing she, debate on this podcast. She <laughs> said the same thing with him, and she's like, "I'm interested in you." Or try to date him at any mm-hmm. point in time. To, at this day, would you still be okay having that knowledge? Would you still be okay knowing that they're still intimately best friends and they communicate on a daily basis, knowing that she had interest yeah. and potentially still has interest, but doesn't say anything because he set up a boundary? Yeah, you'll still be okay with it. I would, and I actually have met her and spent time with both of them together, and okay. she's become my friend as well so i think if the dynamic was like i she was a stranger to me and she wasn't willing to talk to me and know me and um wouldn't recognize me as his girlfriend Mm -hmm. then that is a whole different thing so i I think i I think i've just been stabbing back too much so my (laughs) (laughs) my so in in high school i had a high school sweetheart 
I had a high school sweetheart. I thought she was the one. I was in love. This is the girl that I waste my $120 Jewel Osco paychecks <laughs> on on a weekly basis. I would work 12 hours at a grocery store here. It's Albertsons or Tum Tum, similar to that, but in the Midwest. Oh, you, you're from Minnesota. So I'm not sure if they have Jewel Osco in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, I had a best friend. And I thought he was like my best, best friend. My parents never never let me do sleepovers, none of that stuff. Yeah. He's the first guy friend that age, at age 17, they will let me sleep over and vice versa. His family knew my family and we would just interact consistently. And he, he was one of those best friends where whenever her and I would have issues, I'm like, bro, can you give me a favor, just go pick her up. Can you like, you know, make sure she's good. Or and she's like, hey, I'm, I'm with so-and-so. All right, cool, I wouldn't care. I'll meet, I'll meet up with you guys after I get out of work or I was in college during the time as well. I'll meet up with you guys after I get out of school. So I didn't think anything of it because he's my mm-hmm. best friend. Why would he stab me in the back? Mm-hmm. She's my she's, she's my girlfriend. Why would she stab me in the back, right? There's trust. There's mutual trust. I knew him. I knew him. She knew him. We all knew each other. We would always hang out as a group. Prior to, prior to that, he had a girlfriend. They ended up breaking up. We were both there for him when he went through that breakup. So we both, you know, consoled him. Fast forward... You know, her and I start having issues. You know, I have my issues. I messed up. She messed up. So we end up going our separate ways. In the midst of that, he was quote unquote there for me, where he will show up, see how I'm doing. You know, he would he 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 saw me through all all my immature BS. So he was there for me, being a good friend. But at the same time, he was there for her. So Mm -hmm. fast forward months later, or maybe up to a year later, I see them at church, and on (laughs) Facebook at church on on Facebook. (laughs) I see, you know, how back, you know, a couple years ago, like if you don't make it Facebook official, it's not official. Yeah. This was a couple of years ago. So well, about a decade ago or more, <laughs> not a couple, a decade ago or more. I see that he, he posts on social media that he's officially in a relationship. So I'm excited for him. I go to church. I see him. He's with her. But I'm thinking like, okay, they just show up to church together. Not a big deal to me. I'm thinking she's, still, she's bringing him to church. He needs God. Good. Yeah. So I go up to him at the church. I'm like, bro, congratulations. I heard you have a girlfriend. I saw it on Facebook that it's official. What's the lucky girl's name? And he's like, do you really want to know? And I'm like, of course I want to know. Who's, I want to know who's dating my guy. Oh my goodness. And then he says her name, the girl's name. And I'm like, wait, that's coincidental because my ex's name is that name. And he's like, yeah, exactly. That, uh, it's yes. her. And he points at her. And then I look, back, I look past him. I look at him. I look at her. I'm like, bro, I wish you the freaking best. And I go up to her. I'm like, I really hope you're happy. And I really hope this works out for you guys. And the crazy thing is, at the end of that, I was still willing to be his friend because I get it. We moved on. We were already broken up. He ne- he didn't do it. He in my mind, I'm like, you know what? I could still be his friend on some level. But he despised me. He hated me. And I'm going to assume because of the stories that she would tell him. And also keep it in the back in the back of your head as, as a guy. If I know that my current girlfriend used to lay in bed with you, it's gonna make me uncomfortable. Yeah. So I've been in that position two times where wow. buddies of mine, best friends, coworkers of mine, you know, people that I've done business with. Once they see that I've pulled away from a specific woman, they jump in. Oh my goodness. So that's why for me it's hard to really yeah. process the idea of a man and woman being good friends. So for example, for me, any relationship that I get into right now, any relationship, the woman knows, hey, look, I'm letting you know right now, I have a network of women that, that I'm involved with, whether it's business, personal, whatever the case may be. But the moment that I step into this relationship with you, I'm cutting all ties. There's no need for me to have female friends, personally. Mm-hmm. There's no need. For what? Mm-hmm. I can have coworkers, I have acquaintances, but friendship where I keep in contact with you, we hang out. There's no need yeah. for that. Out of respect. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. No, no. Well, Maybe it's l- just trauma. L- l- there's a lot of protocols even in our office, especially in today's day and age, <laughs> that if, if I'm in the office with a woman, the door is open. There's, yeah. not, there's nothing closed. Uh, yeah. If I'm field training somebody, it's got to be done out in the open. Um, I don't pick up. If I, we're going to go see a client, I meet them there. If the members of the opposite sex, we don't go tra- you know, travel in the same car together or fly in the same uh, uh, together. If I even travel, you know this. Yeah. If I travel, I'm traveling with another guy, mm-hmm. right? Because in, in this day and age, these friends, you know, can say something and flip if it's financially advantageous later on. So if I'm traveling, there's another guy or uh, there's another guy with me, and uh, I've had many roommates, right? My mother's been my roommate. I've had roommates because. Uh, I took this from uh, Billy Graham. He says, when they travel, they travel in threes, not twos, threes. Because one could say, hey, listen, man, we're out traveling right now. And this is, we're in the church, man. But, you know, somebody in the church, let's have some little, you know, extracurricular activities. Mm-hmm. So that one can flip the other. But three, you can't flip each other. So mm-hmm. it's just that protective circle that yeah. goes on. But uh, listen, li- I-, I tell people, <laughs> li- live your life. But I-, I just been around the block too many times to know that uh, uh, just a natural mm-hmm. animalistic tension that's there between man and woman. It's hard to to minimize because I've I've just got got probabilities too. You know the probability of me the way I'm wired 
um, uh, I want to reduce that or eliminate that prob- probability whatsoever, not even a, a, a chance. You know, to, to, yeah. if, to think that you're Jesus and that you're you're strong and I can fight through this. Oh man, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> we're just we're just human beings. So there's another thought. But but speaking of that, like okay, so now you've made it past that uh, uh, scared point, which you're married, you made it past, and right uh-huh. now you're in the you're walking towards that path of mm-hmm. you know potentially being in a rela- deeper relationship with him and mm-hmm. engagement. Marriage. We were talking about earlier. And she's mm-hmm. like, yeah, this is the one. I'm like, cool, good for him. So if you're watching, bro, start uh, saving some money for that ring. But good good for, good for you on that. So now. Once you guys are in that situation, in your perspective being married X amount of time and in your perspective being a woman, who do you guys think loses more in, in a marriage? Do you, do you guys think women lose more in a marriage or men have more to lose? But let's talk about that after this video. Jordan, if we can pull it up. Women lose more than men in, in marriages. Women have more to lose with marriage, to be honest, because once you get married, um, you step into a lot of roles as a wife. You know, a husband is the provider, yeah, and he kind of keeps the family together. He's the lead of the family. But a wife, really a woman change. automatically steps into a servant a child care provider, a sexual partner whenever he wants to have sex, a, 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 I don't know, a tutor for the kids, you helping the kids with their homework. Like, there's a lot of roles that women step into, a cook, a cleaner, like, you get a lot of assistance from a wife. She said that women have more to lose by being married. Ma'am, do you understand that if me and you were married and you want to divorce me, if I didn't make your ass out of prenup, you are entitled to half of everything I worked my whole life for? I got it. Ma'am, do you understand that if I marry you and you divorce me, that those children that we went 50-50 on are 95% of the time going to be granted to you, regardless if you can pay your bills or not? So you mean to tell me that you feel that because you had to cook, clean, fucking shut up, that you lose less than a man that's losing his family, his money, his children, and his fucking sanity when we break up because you wanted to goddamn go over here with goddamn Darius Jackson? If women have more to lose, then why do men pay alimony? If women have more to lose, then why do men, excuse me, ma'am, if men have more to lose, then why most of the time men got to pay child support? If men have more, hold on, ma'am, if men have more to lose, then why in the world is a judge cutting up the the man's assets 50-50 if y'all got more, if y'all have more to lose? Because, sir, that's the whole premise. Because the wife is... You cook, you clean, you fuck, you shut up, and now you're supposed to get a house? No motherfucking old women have been cleaning up bitches' houses for years and ain't got the mansion. Uh, married man and female. You went scorched freaking universe, not Earth. You went scorched universe on that one. Wow. Uh, so, what do you, I mean, you're a guest today. What do you think? Um, I, by the way, I've been divorced. I know the other side of that, it looks like. Okay. Well, I've never been married, but I think of marriage as more of like a collaboration type thing. Good. So, do you think your relationship with your man right now, you guys get married, do you have a lot to lose? I don't think of it as a loss. I, you When you come together to, combine your gifts and your yes. talents um what i might not have he might and mm-hmm. what he might not have i might I have agree. so the collaboration of a marriage like you don't lose by becoming a woman that cooks for your man mm-hmm. that's part of a marriage and the collaboration mm-hmm. of being a partner with and somebody. same thing with a man right you know, he doesn't lose much of a salary because he's supposed to provide for his wife and family absolutely so and i think with the whole uh financial financial part of it all mm. like a man is supposed to be a provider and a leader, but only if the man sees that that's what he wants to be in a marriage. So I think it's important for both the woman and the man to understand what role do you even want to have with your partner. And if that's not something you want to do, then that's yeah. probably not the person you w- should w- marry. W- will there be a shift in level of respect for the man that you marry between him saying, hey, babe, I'm going to take care of all the finances and financially I'm going to make sure that we're safe versus a man who says, hey, babe, we need to go 50-50 on everything we do. Is there a shift in, on level of respect in the way you perceive this man? For me personally, I can't see myself not working. So yeah. I'm okay with my partner saying, like, we can go 50-50 if I'm able to do that. Mm-hmm. And if he's in a space where he doesn't want to go 50-50 yeah. and will allow me still to work, then yeah. I'm okay with that. Um, Respect-wise, I think for a woman who gets into a marriage and decides like i don't want to work i don't want to have to do that i think she would lose respect for a man that says like you have to we have to be 50 50 on bills and things i think that's just that alignment of your beliefs and your values and things like that so to each their own basically yeah she's saying well you listen uh uh, scripture says that one one can set flight to one thousand but two can set flight to ten thousand it's exponential math so when, when you are out there looking for the right relationship yeah, do you feel that you're emotionally, spiritually, financially being elevated to the next level? Sometimes people get together for relationships of convenience. Like, I'm going to get together with somebody because we can s- save money on rent. We can save money on gas. Mm-hmm. We can save money on da da, da. That's the. By the way, I, that's how I got married, my first one. 
Mm-hmm. That was a relationship, my marriage of convenience. Regrettably, the worst scenario that I can find myself in because now the expectations are high. Versus now, 14 years later, so since I, I got married, divorced, it was 14 years. When I waited until I found my now wife, I was able to prepare myself, provide, protect. So uh, so was my, my, my girlfriend at the time, fiance, now wife. Sheena, she was able to provide for herself too as well. We come together. I, I promise you this. If I ask my wife right now, hey, babe, did you lose marrying, marrying me? The house we live in, the life we live, the trips we take, the money we've saved, the money, the companies we invest in, the, more importantly, the family that we're building, the, the, the more uh, of, a, of, a, of a tool that God can use us for building his kingdom. I'll tell you this, you know, my wife and I have not lost anything for, from getting married. Actually, it's been quite the opposite. So uh, that's my encouragement. Anybody's getting yeah. out there today. I, I'm, I, I'm a big fan of, of marriages. I'm a big fan of the right people having kids. Um, I don't think the right people um, having kids, they, they're not making enough of them. So, you know, that's, and sometimes the wrong people have too many kids, you know, yeah. versus the right people having kids, you know. So it's, yeah. uh, you know, we, we, need to, we need to shift that around. So speaking of that, uh, uh, you have to make sure you also pick the right spouse. And if you are in a situation of anger, I mean, have you been in an argument with your, with your, with your man? Yeah. Of course, I right? Mean, I don't, I yeah. wouldn't consider it an argument. To me, yeah. an argument is like you're yeah. raising your voice and maybe saying disrespectful things to yeah. each other. I think a disagreement, yes, uh-huh. we've, yeah. we've met each other and we're both very sure. uh, confident in ourselves and um, kind of stern on certain things. Yep. And so, yeah, we've had tough conversations and sometimes it gets difficult and it's about listening to each other and understanding the person too because if you don't know who you're talking to or how to talk to them uh that can just you go left field and the whole the whole focus of what you're even talking Uh about is not even what you end up because here's what happens when you pick wrong because you think you know a lot about somebody when you date them. You think you know a lot more about somebody when you marry them. You really know a lot about somebody when you start having kids with mm-hmm. them. That's where the deep feelings of childhood trauma come up when you're trying to do your job being a parent, the things that you grew up watching, observing, and how you treat each other, and you subconsciously default back into the mechanisms that you grew up with. So let's take a look at this. Uh, I want to warn you, this is you know pretty disturbing. But uh, this is a couple arguing in a car, and this is what happens. Oh, hell no, man. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. And then she chases after him to continue the argument instead of watching out for the kid in the middle of stinking traffic. What is wrong with you? And And people in other cars have to watch out for the kid. Like, dude. Wow. That's some crazy shit. Now, I've been in arguments where I felt doing that, that very same thing. I, I understand what that emotion is all about. To, but to yank her out in the middle of traffic with her hanging on to the kid. And then what's worse is she gets up, she continues the argument without watching out for the kid. Thoughts? Mm. <laughs> well, he and I both come from a past relationship that was very aggressive and yeah. very abusive. Um so I I could never if I'm not a mom, um, however, he has a son and he has shared stories of her being abusive towards him mm-hmm. while the kid has been in the car. So almost a similar situation. However, he, he's not the one yanking her out of the car. Wow. Um, she was the one putting him in danger as well as the kid yeah. on the road. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is going to happen twice. Yeah. Yeah. So I just it's. The child needs to be protected first, mm-hmm. regardless of what is going on between the relationship. And I yeah. think people have children together and forget about the purpose of taking care. You're a parent now. You forget yeah. that the purpose is the child. Yeah. Um, if you have a lot of hatred and a lot of pain between each other and then you have a kid together, that just seeps into the child's development. And that's really scary to see. And yeah. that happens a lot. Yeah. So. Yeah, so yeah, you know, when, when when I'm looking at these type of situations here, we we all get into deep anger, frustration, resentment, unforgiveness, and all these things start building up. But to to act like that, and and I can't say I'm not I'm not guilty of having a temper or or not being angry at times. But to be able to yank your wife or uh, and child together out of the car and throw them on the street like that, 
that's just that's just unnecessary. And uh, thank God for concerned people around that were able to be there for the kid and, and make sure the kid doesn't run off. You know, toddlers like that, two years old, one years old, three years old, they're running around. To have that child be able to just be able to stack to stay there and cry, thank goodness the child wasn't running around because my four year old, he would he would he would have taken off. It takes off or anything. And um, you know, so that's that's why you really have to be thoughtful and careful uh, of who you decide to date, who you decide to marry, who you decide to have kids with. And you have these conversations well in advance. And if you have to pull the plug on a relationship, whatever the case may be, do so. I'd rather you do that than be, be the next video we're talking about here on this podcast. Not in a good example, but a horrible, horrible example. So speaking of anger and unforgiveness, there's another video here of how anger and unforgiveness affects your health. Let's take a look at this clip. Did you know unforgiveness can make you sick? According to research by doctors at Johns Hopkins, there is an enormous physical burden to holding on to anger. Chronic anger and unforgiveness put you into a fight or flight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes, among other conditions. Forgiveness, however, calms stress levels leading to improved health. Wow. Usa. Mm. What's your thoughts on this? Sorry, man. Uh, my, I just... That, you're, you're triggered on the last video, huh? Still recovering from the, it? The, the last video really um, brought back a lot of memories from my childhood. So I'm just, right now I'm just trying to like uh, get back in the oh, zone. Um, uh, so hmm. as far as... As far as... Uh, Sorry. As far as uh, this specific video, we're good, man. We're good. We're good. I um proud of you, man. This is one of the reasons why a lot of people have such a hard time uh, trusting people, getting into relationships with people, um, because they don't know how to let go. And I think some some of the things that um, that people have a hard time with, at least I can speak for myself, is. Where do you draw the line between forgiveness, forgiving somebody, and just being so scared of making the wrong move next? I get it, trusting in God. But at the same time, as a person, as a human being, there are certain decisions that you need to be able to make and trust that you're being guided down the right path. And then there's people who, like myself, I can forgive you and I can forget about it and move on from it. But then at the same time, I need to guard my heart, my mind, myself as a whole. And I'm in the... I'm the field of recognizing patterns. So if there's a pattern that's consistently happening in a relationship or in a friendship or in any kind of partnership, you know, when do you, when you being in the business that you've been in for so many years and, you know, you being a woman or just in general, right, perspectives right now, you know, you know, when do you say enough is enough? Because you can forgive, 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 because it's going to help you heal from things. But... When you're married or you're in a relationship or a partnership that involves longevity, that involves long commitment, long-term commitment, yeah. you know, how do you know when to draw the line and say, I'm done? Like, I'm done. You've crossed my non-negotiable. I'm completely done. Well, just, I think it's simple as that. Here's my non-negotiable. I'm not crossing it. And if I cross it, then I can't trust myself. Hmm. Because what happens if you, have, you draw a line and you allow it to be crossed, then you have inconsistency going on in your life. You get inconsistent thinking. You have inconsistent thoughts. You have inconsistent actions because you kept drawing that line and you kept crossing it. And you can't even trust yourself. You have no integrity with that line. And so when I refused, and I refused, like, there, like there's some things that you have negotiable. It's, it's, uh, it's negotiable. Okay, I get it. We're, you keep crossing this line. But there's certain lines. Like, for example, Sheena, if I ever cheat on her, that's a non-negotiable. 100% divorce me. 100%. And I can't even... Blame me for that, and vice versa. Uh, those type of things. Hitting each other, any type of physical, that's a non-negotiable. We do not lay hands on each other, no matter how hard it gets. That's a non-negotiable. So, um, so this, you know, does, does she disrespect me at times? Of course. Do I disrespect her at times? Of course. That's where anger for forgiveness comes in. But do we cheat on each other? Do we steal from each other? Steal each other's, you know, trust? Do we, do we, do we cross that line? of the non-negotiables? No. That's the non-negotiable. That's the, at least we respect each other. If we disrespect each other yeah. in an argument, at least we respect each other not to cross yeah. the non-negotiables. And, and then, yeah, and then on a physiological standpoint, something that we work on, uh, a lot of people who, who come to me for massage or for training, one thing that I realized, a lot of them hold on to a, a, 
people who are holding on to a lot of anger have and carry a lot of stress in specific yeah. areas of their bodies, their shoulders, their hips, their yeah. lower backs. And a lot of times that's causing pain, physiological pain, which then also cause psychological pain. Mm -hmm. And when you're consistently walking around in pain yeah. and you're consistently walking around uncomfortable within your own body, um, you're going, your energy is going to be off. The way you treat people is going to be completely off. And the way you carry mm -hmm. yourself and the way you treat yourself is going to be off. Yeah. And also one thing that I've noticed amongst people who are holding on to a lot of resentment, anger, and bitterness and aren't forgiving, their digestive system is also off. When they, mm -hmm. when they eat and they consume the foods, their yeah. stomach doesn't settle correctly. They're not able to digest the food and absorb the nutrients. It goes right through them. So there's a lot of things that, have, that there's, there's a lot that unforgiveness, resentment, anger, bitterness can actually affect besides yeah. the emotional point. Yeah. It's also physiological. Then, you know, your physiological gets affected. Then every other external factor of your life also gets affected. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my favorite quote about forgiveness comes from Nelson Mandela. If you guys don't know who Nelson Mandela was, he's the guy that stood up against apartheid, was in prison in South Africa for 27 years. But his quote says this, forgiveness liberates the soul. It removes fear. That's why it's such a powerful weapon. Think about how much if we can invoke forgiveness into our lives. I mean, think about where America's at right now, the wrongs and, and, and areas of anger and frustration we have towards one another. And instead, and, uh, uh, unresolved unforgiveness focuses on the differences we have with each other versus celebrating the similarities we all have. You know, one of the greatest things about our business and the greatest thing about, which I observed here in Dallas, is that a lot of people can be of different ethnic backgrounds and different, uh, you know, different uh, races, black, white, brown, Asian, Mexican. But for the most part, compared to what I was in, raised up in Chicago, at least here in Dallas, because there's faith, more, there's more injection of faith per capita here uh, around the, I would call this the Bible belt line, there's churches, 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 and it seems like church is still a very active part of the community here in Dallas as compared to Chicago. I see a lot of those differences not being something that divides people where, where, where unforgiveness and anger are as a result of keeping people separate, but the unforgiveness brings people together. And as we're in relationships with a personal business, there's many people that cross me in business, that stab me in the back. Shelly, how about people that owe you money? <laughs> right? And they're never going to pay you back. Yeah. You got to be able to say, hey, I forgive you. And from here going forward, you don't owe me crap. I just rather keep the relationship and the friendship. But at the same time, too, you cross the line. I can never trust you again with money, but it doesn't mean I can't still be your friend. Right. Right? So what's your thoughts on that? Um, forgiveness to me is like, I'm going to use a personal example of myself. Um, growing up, my mom was an addict and an alcoholic, and um, that created a lot of pain and a lot of resentment in me mm -hmm. as I was growing up, mm -hmm. and I had to learn how to forgive her. Yeah. Um, and without that, I would not be the type of woman I am today. I would be a very bitter and anger, yeah. angry woman and un unable to uh, work with people. Um, and now her and I's relationship, she's completely clean because I think I was able to forgive her. Amen. I think she would have slipped worse and yeah. potentially not even be here on this earth yeah. had I not been able to forgive her through that. I think you have to find grace with the person. Yeah. Um, and for yourself, what you were saying, a repeated pattern, even if you mm. forgive somebody again and again and they continue to do that, um, you almost disrespect yourself if you continue to like allow that person to do that same thing to you again sure. and again. Sure. And you can forgive somebody without um, accepting what they're doing to you. You can yep. say, I forgive you, but I don't accept how you are. Um, and yep. just kind of remove yourself from whatever that situation may be. Yep. And I also think a certain situation, if you don't forgive that person, that whole pain, what you're saying, you feel it in your body, you yeah. create pain within your joints. It also seeps into your relationships with other people. 100%. You start to try to connect the dots of, oh, this person's yeah. doing this that's similar to what this person did to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even if that person may not even be doing that thing, yeah. but it feels similar and it creates a trauma response into you. Um, then you start to resent this person for something that they didn't even do, but it's tied to something someone else did to you in the past. So I think forgiveness, it seeps into all areas of your life. And if you don't uh, have a heart for people and try to... Um, forgive them for faults that they may not even know that they have done. Mm -hmm. um, it creates a, a lot more of a problem within yourself. So That's right. That's right. And oftentimes people think that uh, this one area can solve everybody's problem, money. 
Money can solve people's problems. So uh, let's talk about that baseball player, Otani, the Japanese baseball player playing here in the Major League Baseball uh, in America. And uh, he just signed a $700 million contract over 10 years. Jordan, if we could take a look at this. So he just signed a $700 million contract, formerly of the Anaheim Angels. But now he's playing for the L.A. Dodgers. Uh, the Japanese star record deal with the Dodgers is an unprecedented structure which would seem to defer $68 million per season until the end of his contract. Interesting. So he signs a contract to pay $70 million a year. Now, we've, we've done this podcast before. We, we, we've unpacked an NFL player's salary and what he takes home after taxes. Mm. So here he's saying, listen, pay me $70 mil a year for 10 years. <laughs> which, by the way, I think LeBron James' earnings in a career for 20-plus years is a little over $580 million, LeBron James. Mm-hmm. So this guy in 10 years is going to get paid more than entire LeBron's entire 20-plus, 20 uh, 20-year career in, in the NBA. So, by the way, word, word to the parents out there, if the outcome of your of your child is to make money playing sports, throw out of, take off the helmet, take off the shoulder pads, throw away the basketball and pick up a bat, <laughs> baseball, and, and, play, and play baseball. But uh, uh, it's amazing how baseball players are still getting paid this much money. So here, here, here's, the, here's the deal, though. Ohani will take home just $2 million per season over a 10-year span, which was made official. In an unprecedented, unprecedented structure, he's going to defer $68 million per season until the end of his contract, meaning the Dodgers will pay him $680 million between 2034 and 2043. By the time Ohani receives his paycheck, final paycheck from the team, as, an, as a formerly active player, he'll be 49 years old. Which is smart. Why, why do you think they're doing that? He, let me give you a hint. He plays in California. Taxes. Exactly. Taxes. Exactly. So federal taxes, he's, he's at the top bracket. Yeah. And if you make over a million dollars in income in California, you're at taxing another 13.6%. So literally half of the money, if you're a millionaire in California, half the money you're making in California is whacked in taxes. So here it says, just pay me two million bucks, which probably will be almost one million dollars a year in taxes Yeah. from this two million bucks. But he's smart. He's uh, saying defer it. So uh, the mass now the massive deferrals were Otani's idea. Good job having the right counselors around him. This is this is what what happens when you have the right people around you. Uh, check this out though. Um, it allows them uh, uh, allows them to uh, spread around a lot more bread. So therefore, they can still bring players around. So the the salary is not just on just one player. He's saying defer me until later on. But it's not an unheard of thing. Uh, starting pitcher Mark Max Scherzer deferred. $210 million of the contract with the Washington Nationals in 2015. Um, that being said, also, um, in 2000, uh, in 2000 um, I'm sorry, 210 MLB players will be making more than Otani's $2 million base salary. So will some 40 NBA players, 752 NFL players, and 87 players on the PGA Tour are going to be making more money than him. Some about Ken Giffrey Jr., who's done playing baseball, who retired in 2010, will earn more next season than baseball's high player. Why? Because he's deferring his salary. He makes roughly $45 million per season in endorsement money. On top of that, this guy's getting paid $100 million a year to play baseball, which now he's deferring. So no, he's living off his endorsement money. Yeah. Now, endorsement money, he's paid as a independent contractor or he's paid through his corporation. But his baseball player paid as an employee. So this is an amazing example of tax planning. It's an amazing example of deferred gratification, delayed spending, and, 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 and that's the problem with a lot of people today. They make $2 million a year, they spend 2.5. Or they make $20,000 a year, and they spend 30000 They make $100,000 a year, they spend one fifty. What this guy is doing is, so listen, I'm fine with my endorsement money. I'm fine with $2 million from MLB, but defer $68 million, which not we'd be earning interest. But think about that, though. Ten years from now, when he's done playing, he's still getting paid sixty-eight million, sixty-eight million dollars a year. So, so his contract's over. That means, hey, yo, thanks, thanks for the season. Thanks, California, taking care of me. There's the money that I'm going to get, which is a fat amount of money versus the, the amount of money yeah. he's getting while he's playing in in, in California. You can say, all right, I'm out. Move yeah. to a different state, and now his. That's right. Completely. That's correct. If you move to a different state, yeah, he moves to Texas. One hundred percent. And Zero you, income tax, bro, and, and, oh, wow. and being able to play at that at, at that level, um, and being able to be an athlete at, at that point where people are literally willing to pay you hundreds of millions of dollars, you would assume that you take care of yourself. You would assume that you are consistently. From, from my understanding, like LeBron, this guy's doing cryotherapy on a daily basis, massage therapy, training. He's he's doing he's doing every single potential rehab thing that you probably do in a month. Man probably does it in a day. Right. 
right. to keep going because I think you said that his vision is to be able to play with his son one day in the in, in the in the league. Oh, for sure. So if you see the top collegiate athlete, or the top athletes in the NBA, MLB, you know any you know pro pro uh, any of the pros, yep. the ones who are performing and getting paid a lot of money, those are the people who are investing so much more time into their health. Versus, did you did you uh, hear Stephen uh, Smith uh, go off on Zion Williamson not, not taking care of himself? Let's talk about it. Uh, hey, Jordan, we can pull up that video um, of your body will serve you if you treat it correctly. He's fat in root while LeBron James had dropped 30 in three quarters and it completely dominated and looked in peak physical condition and looked like an absolute stud and superstar and marquee Zion Williamson, who's more than 15 years younger, but 40 pounds heavier, went to the free throw line. Ladies and gentlemen, I saw a belly. I mean, damn, damn, what's up, Zion? It better not got your ass kicked, losing about 44 points in a, in a sem playing semifinal. Did nothing to lead and galvanize your team. Did nothing to show the man child that you are and to take over. But you look like you showed up to the game having just ate a buffet. Like you ate the damn table. He looked like he ate the buffet. I saw him literally inhale, take a deep breath at the free throw line, and I saw a belly. Like, like Austin Powers, fat bastard, like, get in my belly. That's what I saw. Well, here's the thing, man. Bottom line, money changes people. Money's going to expose you. Money uh, is going to change your habits and behaviors if all your outcome was was money. So if Zion's outcome was to make a lot of money, great, check, you made it. But if he wants to be a great player, LeBron wants to be a great player because he invested in his health, all the winners that became top performers, they watched their health. Zion Williamson, in addition to that, while he was eating and recovering, not only is his wife pregnant, but they got this porn star side chick pregnant too as well. So when you're looking at the scenario, again, money will change you. If you're not grounded on what you believe and what you're about, one of the blind spots that a lot of people have when they start making money, start making progress, when you're on your journey from 50,000 a year, 100,000 a year, 500,000 to a million dollars, two million, whatever, whatever that journey is, one of the blind spots is idle time. Because the same struggle that you had at 50,000, 100,000 dollars a year is no longer struggle at a million dollars, two million dollars a year. You will have idle time. If that idle time is not fixed with another next, that's a blind spot that you can get caught up in. And obviously this kid, sadly, is that he was the number one overall pick, jumping out of his shoes in college, literally jump, jumps out of his shoes, signs a massive shoe contract, can't even get on the court, injured, uh, looking out, looking to be a bust. Guys spent a lot of, I'm in, I'm in a baseball card community, guys spent like $500,000 buying his rookie card. He's about to be the next big, he was like a generational talent. Mm. I mean, everybody saw this kid in high school. People couldn't believe this kid, 6'9", 260, flying out the gym, 40-plus-inch vertical, rim-rocking. And guess what happened? One thing, got cha got changed with money. If you were in this position, what are, what are three things that you, you would make sure on a daily basis, weekly, monthly basis, that you would not lose on, as far as routine, accountability-wise? What would you do to keep yourself accountable on three different things? So, number one, you got to figure out what, clearly what is it that you want. What is it that you want? You want to be great or you want to be good? You want to be average? You want to you know, check in, check out. Does the team uh, uh, worthy pay, uh, paying me when I'm, when I'm uh, getting paid to be on this team? If I'm, and on top of that, if you're not clear about what you want, if you're not clear about that, sometimes people are very clear who your enemy is. Like somebody pissed you off enough that you got to prove them wrong for the rest of your, for the rest of their life. Or somebody overlooked you whatever that either you clear what you want you have an enemy you got to prove them right and figure out what you, because if you don't prove them right guess who's right them if you don't prove them wrong guess who's right they are right for the rest of their life and that way that comment uh they said to you uh that will stay in force number two you got to figure out also who you have around you do you have people yes men around you or do you have people that are willing to hold you accountable and, and number three is if you're putting yourself in a position of clarity, you put yourself around in terms of, are you clear about well, um, uh, the people that you have around you? You gotta have a routine over and over because this is only a short period of your life. 20, let's say 20 to 25, 25, 30. Short period of your life where you can make life-changing, generational-changing money. If you don't honor that, and if you don't appreciate that, man, well, much is given, much is expected, and it'll be gone. It's gonna be given to somebody else. These NBA teams, they'll fire you, to, they'll move on. 
and uh, whatever you thought was about to be your future is no longer uh, it's no longer in front of you. Somebody's going to snatch and take it away from you. So do you think it's smart to have a plan? Because I know a lot of people say, hey, once you start w walking down a path of business entrepreneurship. Here's a problem. Him, him having, him, it's hard for him to have a plan B. You know why? Because people are going to remember him how he treated his opportunity. He's going to be a very quick has-been. Where's, where's Jamarcus Russell? What's Jamarcus Russell doing today? What's all these players who had all the drama? People can't trust you because when they gave you an opportunity, based on your hard work and effort, the world was at your feet. And then when you took uh, that opportunity, what did you do with it? You squandered it. So people can't trust you, Plan B. Watch out what happens when this guy gets out of the league. He's going to be starting from scratch. He's going to be selling cars at Enterprise. He's going to be a, a, a Taco Bell manager. Watch. You think I'm like, we, why? We see, we're in Dallas. We see all sorts of former players around here that didn't take advantage of the platform when they're on it. And now, they're, they're, sadly, they're, they're looking for other things to do and to make money because their lifestyle is up here, but now their income is down here. They got some tough choices to make. One last thing I want to cover before we let you guys go is inflation. Uh, there's, uh, can we look at my screen one more time, uh, Jordan? So if you look at um, inflation, where, where, where is that today? Uh, it's, it's crazy to see where consumer, infla uh, consumer inflation slows to 3.1. It was at 9% a year ago. Now they're saying it's down to 3.1 based on the CPI index. Shelly, let me ask this question. Is gas for you cheaper than it was last year? No. Food cheaper today than it was last year. No. Um, when you go to uh, personal care products, are they cheaper this year than they were last year? Absolutely not. So what they're trying to say <laughs> is, the facts is this, but the reality is, no, it hasn't changed. Yeah. So people say, well, why, why doesn't it go down? Why doesn't it go down? Some economists argue that they don't want prices to go down because if prices go down, guess what also has to go down? Wages. So here's a chart. The difference between inflation rate and wage growth. So the blue line is, in, is inflation. Is, is wages. The black line is inflation. So you see here, if, if inflation um, goes up, guess what tends to follow it? Wages. Wages. Okay? Now, if inflation goes down, what's also following it? Mm. Wages. So economists are arguing right now, so if you want things to go down, guess what you also have to expect to go down? Wages. Your, wages. Your wages. So do people want that? So here's the thing, though. Um, do you want to make money from wages? Or do we want to make money from capital gains and dividends? So, Shell, we often argue, uh, how, much do you th how much salary do you think Elon Musk makes? He has $3 billion companies, SpaceX, Tesla, SolarCity. Oh my what, what do you think his salary is on one company? Let's, what's his salary on Twitter or on X? Um, I really, I... He's a, he's a, he's a multi, multi, multi-billionaire. He's a one company is a trillion bucks. Like... What do you think his salary is? A year... Probably in the trillions. No, for sure. S salary. It's funny. Yeah. If you punch up Elon Musk's salary, he makes um, he makes salary wise he makes eighty thousand dollars a year in salary. Oh. But his compensation in terms of capital gains and, and dividends mm. is over three is over three uh, is over um, uh, his total realized compensation twenty twenty was seven hundred thirty four million seven hundred sixty two thousand. Okay. But a majority, a majority of that, in terms of the, the comparison to him and employees, but his compensation, though, majority of that is taxed at a much lower rate. Mm. So, for example, Otani, the baseball player we just mentioned, he's taxed at the highest rate because he's paid as an employee. But if you're an entrepreneur, you can, pay, you can get paid in capital gains and dividends, and it's taxed at a much lower rate. Maximum is 20%. So you can make millions of dollars a year, but the maximum the max tax is 20%. If you make millions of dollars a year, you're taxed at 49, almost 50% in some states. So where would you rather be taxed at? Would you be taxed at 20% or would you rather be taxed at 49%? 20? 20%. So you make your money through capital gains and, and dividends. That's how Elon Musk makes his money. Not through salary, but through capital mm. gains and dividends. So he can say, listen, pay me zero salary, but if I perform, pay me dividends and capital gains, and that's how these guys are making money. But that's not for the average person, though. The average person makes wages. So the way... Everybody on the show is thinking, the way you're thinking is, okay, I can be an employee, but I can be an entrepreneur, because an entrepreneur, I make money on capital gains and dividends through my own through my own company. So when you're looking at this, guys, sadly, I don't think that inflation is going to go down anytime soon. I don't think inflation is going to drop where you see a significant savings in uh, rent, you see a significant savings in the cost of cars, significant savings in the cost of electricity, et cetera, et cetera. Expect things to be right around where it's at right now. The challenge for you going to 2024 and the years thereafter is 
how are you going to be making more money? Do you want to make money as a, as a salaried wages employee? Or do you want to make money as an entrepreneur? If you're even a part-time uh, uh, entrepreneur and a full-time employee, you can make a combination of both as you transition to a full-time entrepreneurship. That's why this channel here is always going to, our show is about to always push you to make more money as an entrepreneur. Because like Shelly's here, she's, she's making her money by providing value in the community. So and not just taking a salary from a job. So any final thoughts here before we let, let you guys go? Shelly, thank you so much for being here. Any final thoughts? Um, just thank you for having me. And I would like to say just um, if you're like me and you come from a background of not really having like money and finances and taxes, those conversations around you, mm. um, set at a table like I'm at right now. So, Boom. Uh, you can learn those things and, <laughs> and receive the help so that way you can set your life up the best that it can be. So, and about relationships yeah. too as well. Yeah. We'll figure out <laughs> different perspectives. We're, we're, we're like uh, uh, the people that the brothers and uncles people didn't think they needed to have. I guess some of the comments we get in return. Yeah. Any yeah. final thoughts on your end, brother? Keep growing. Keep growing. Keep investing into yourself. And as Matt always consistently says, the people that people you meet, books that you read, and the events that you attend is going to help you keep growing and keep it elevating yourself and your life and your finances and everything that you're trying to do. So keep tapping in and we're gonna hear, we're here to serve you as much as we possibly can and hopefully add as much value as we possibly can so that way you can keep progressing in your life for sure, man. Yep. And by the way, yeah. uh, I think I believe next Wednesday we're gonna have a book tour signing here in Dallas. So nice. if you guys are looking for the book, uh, copy of my book, Gotcha, right here. It's an Amazon bestseller for the last three weeks. This one? Right yep, there. on three different right. categories. But So I believe oh, here in Dallas we're gonna have a book signing. Oh. I'll have another book signing in Little Rock, Arkansas in the beginning of January. So we're going on a book tour. If you'd like for me to uh, come to your city and state, send us a message. Hey, man, have a book uh, signing at a company. Uh, have a book signing at our book club group. Have a book signing at a cigar club. Uh, listen, I'd, I'd be open to do it because we talk about money. We talk about cigars. We talk about some of the best things that life has to offer. So that being said, guys, thanks for tuning in. Make sure, if you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe, hit like. Drop your comments below. You agree with us, you don't agree with us, please. We'd like to know. We might use it in a future episode coming forward. That being said, from Dallas, Texas, but have our show here till we meet again. Continue to live smart, continue to love smart, and be money smart today. today. Thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye.